to Inside Parliament. It's our weekly catch-up of the political stories we've been covering for One News. We're joining you from the legendary TVNZ Beehive studio. And with me today, May Heron, very kindly come in and, and talk to us today. She's been doing lots of political stories this week for us. We've been keeping you busy. Yes, pleasure to help. Oh, good, good. Um, this week we had... The poll. So it's been a really interesting week for us dissecting and looking at that. Let's have a look at that track first. The budget didn't get the traction Labour was hoping for. Here are the numbers. National remains the biggest party on 45, up one from our last poll. Labour is stuck on 43, no change from five weeks ago. And its partner, the Greens, drops one, it's on five. New Zealand first dips as well, and with that number, it'll be out of Parliament. And the Māori Party still registering 1%, despite not being in Parliament anymore. So let's have a look at how that translates to seats in the House. National gets 58, add in Acts 1, and they fall short of that magic 61 needed to form a government. Let's look at Labour and the Greens. They get to 61 by themselves. That's because New Zealand First isn't in the mix. Let's now look at who we want to lead the country. Jacinta Ardern gets a boost to 41, up four points from our last poll. A big jump for her. Simon Bridges has picked up two points, but is still lagging way behind with 12. After three months in the job, he'll be starting to sweat over that number. Winston Peters is still the third most popular on four, so some interesting numbers there in the wake of the budget. When you're out selling a budget, there's a lot of attention. These are just me and a few of my friends. <laughs> but all the budget promises didn't help the poll numbers grow. We asked, how did the government's management and delivery of the budget compare to your expectations? 9% say it was better than they expected. 56% say it was about the same and 11% say worse. The rest didn't know. Look, it was a, a really balanced budget. I think a dud budget that really just didn't fire. But perhaps that lack of fire paid off when it comes to economic outlook over the next year. 40% think it'll get better. That's up 3% and the highest result since Labour came into power. A quarter say it'll stay the same and 35% think it'll get worse. After eight months in government, National's still the dominant party and Labour is stagnating. Polls bounce around. Um, uh, look, it's, I'm happy to see that we've got steady support still for this coalition government. National might be riding high, but its leader isn't. Simon Bridges has been on a get-to-know-me mission around the country. My number's up a bit. It's early days. But rival Judith Collins is floating around too. She's registered 2% in the last two polls, remaining a favourite for some even after losing the leadership contest to Mr Bridges. She is, like a number of others in the National Party, an outstanding performer. But it's not the only problem for the national leader. The ACT Party isn't performing. So what about a new party to replace the Conservatives? Simon Bridges has told One News he's working on it. As I think my supporters would expect and my MPs would expect, I'm talking you know, quietly to a number of players to just understand the landscape and what is out there. What National needs on the landscape is a party to help it compete against the Labour Green bloc. So some really interesting numbers there. I guess what's telling is that even though the numbers didn't shift around heaps, the budget for, fell flat, Simon Bridges was a bit flat too. And it raises this question about 
the need for a friend or need for another conservative party. Absolutely, because it looks like here that ACT obviously isn't getting their party numbers anywhere near the threshold to even be picked up in some of these polls. So the question needs to be for National, where do they find that friend? And we did talk about Colin Craig a bit in your piece and about how obviously he did quite well. I mean, do you think someone like that could come up? Because he got 4%, don't forget, in 2014. So if he can do that, it shows that a popular um, member of parliament could easily do that again, especially if it was, say, for example, an ex-national um, member of parliament who already had a seat. They gifted it to them, like they did an Epsom. We could see that. We could see a Christian party come in. We could see a party based on law and order. Any of those that have the cut through to get to that 5% or a given a seat is what the National Party needs. And I think you're right there. You either need a strong person, a strong personality, or a really strong topic to kind of hinge off. So something like law and order would be a really interesting thing to hinge off because we know about these prison rates climbing. We know that Labour wants to deal with these prison rates. And so an upshot of that could be a party that gets established that is really tough on crime, that does the opposite, and could dragging a, a lot of votes that way too. I think some people in the National Party will be sitting there thinking as well, if we if they did do something that was strong on law and order, would that um, nibble away at some of that vote for New Zealand First, which would be a win-win for them too, because it would be taking them off New Zealand First and feeding them into a party that would support them too. So it, if you were sitting there as Simon Bridges, you can see, and I was quite interested to hear his yeah. comments. He was quite, I, I put to him, you know, are you... Um, looking at um, creating another party and he was quite open in the fact that yeah look I'm talking around I'm chatting to people about it so you can it's obviously something that needs to be done because it's just not realistic to get 50 percent is it and I also think at the moment the way things stand it's unrealistic for the Green Party to be jumping into bed with National I think they still very much are siding with Labour I think that if they were the king or queen maker that it is unlikely for them to pick National so I do think it's is really crucial in order for National to actually win at the next election. They need someone to come up. And you think, actually, they need someone to come up very soon. It was interesting. I was at an event with Simon Bridges this morning, and he said, oh, we need a real green party, not a watermelon party. So he obviously meant green on the outside, red on the inside. And I thought, um, you know, that was an, an interesting little quip. Um, slightly clever, I thought. Um, but I just think something like that that they yeah. need to get on and, and do. Well, essentially, isn't that what Top kind of tried to sell itself as, in a way? Like and a, nearly did. Yes, and nearly did. And so, I, you know, I don't know what Top's plans are. They kind of imploded a little bit, I think, after the last election. But, I mean, there obviously is a market somewhere. And with things like social media, the traction for a party, I think, can go a long way this time with, you know, the ability to reach on younger people, a younger audience. I think you don't need the traditional party base that you did back in the day. What about Judith Collins? Um, because when you look at the numbers, what was interesting is last time we polled, five weeks ago, she registered that 2%. Now, we just had quite a high-profile leadership race um, for the National Party, but the fact that she got it again this time makes you, the fact that she's held on to it, and this is unprompted. Um, we asked people, who would you like to be the preferred Prime Minister? And I just think it's interesting that she's come up again. It's obviously a name that's resonating, isn't it? And she is holding some hefty portfolios, don't forget. So she is making herself known in the likes of transport. And so where the government is 
talking quite heavily on transport, it's her name that's being heard actually over Simon Bridges and some of these aspects. So obviously people are hearing her and there's a bit of name recognition there. She's been around for a while, the hasn't she? Collins the Crusher Collins thing. But the question is, you know, do you think she'll actually go any further? I mean, she's picked up on the pole, but is she realistic for a leader, do you think? I guess the challenge for Simon Bridges now is how do you keep her busy and occupied um, and perhaps doing this transport, uh, sorry, doing the housing yeah. round yeah. is smart for her in that way because it keeps her nice and busy, obviously keeping Phil Twyford on his toes this week with everything going on. So, yeah, I, may, maybe keep your um, friends close and your enemies closer. I don't know. Um, we did, with our poll this week, we tried out or this time and the time before we were doing some new technology with um, augmented reality um, and it got us thinking about the way that we used to do polls back in the day so have a look at this In November 81 National won the election by securing 39% of the vote even though Labour earned slightly more of the total vote with support from 40% At the end of last month National support was up at 42% Labour also moved up to 43% to keep that one-point lead, while Social Credit lost ground with its support now down at 15%. That's the current state of the parties, but what about the state of our political leaders? Halen's asked of all the politicians in New Zealand of any party, which one would you personally prefer to be Prime Minister right now? In November 81, the answer was clear. Mr Muldoon was preferred by 32% of respondents. Mr Rowling had the support of 27%. Mr Beetham was the preferred PM of 15% and the only other significant support went to Labour's Mr Longy at 5%. A year later the preference for Mr Muldoon has increased to 36%. Mr Rowling's support has more than halved. He's down 17 points to be the preferred Prime Minister of 10%. Mr Beetham is now down to 8%. And Mr Longy has almost quadrupled his support to be the preferred Prime Minister of 19% of Halen's sample. It's interesting to think just how long people will be looking back at our polls and laugh, laughing at those as well. So, you know, there you go. What Can't believe around? they used augmented reality back in the day. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, it's good. Um, the other big story that's been dominating this week has been Mycoplasma bovis. So let's have a look at your track from that. Nearly a year after the disease was discovered, tens of thousands of cows have been slaughtered. Now many more will die. I personally do not want to look back on this time, having seen the full impact of this disease on the productivity of our farming sector and the well-being of our rural communities and say, I wish we had tried harder. All cattle on infected properties will be killed, an estimated 126,000 in the next two years. The eradication attempt costing $886 million. So far there's only one strain identified mm. and we believe that that's come from one source. So if we can track and trace all the animals, we believe we can contain and then eradicate. The government will pay 68% of the cost, Dairy New Zealand and Beef and Lamb New Zealand the rest. There's no doubt that this response has been dreadful in terms of uh, the, the stress it's put on it, but not just affected farmers, but the anxiety generally through, through pastoral farming in New Zealand. In essence, they've been sitting in the dentist's waiting room for some 10 months. But as I said earlier, 
No cast iron guarantee with this and it may be we have to reassess it in the spring. Farmers will now be given some flexibility to decide when to kill their cows. Farms can be restocked 60 days after culling. Compensation claims also fast-tracked. It hasn't been good enough to date. Um, my commitment is it is faster than it was. The government has faced immense scrutiny around how it's dealt with the disease so far and it's still under enormous pressure given no country has attempted eradication before. We have had the advantage of finding this relatively quickly. Um, those countries have, have actually not realised they've had the disease until a couple of decades after. But at the moment being able to have a crack and offer compensation is key. A more immediate challenge is looming with Gypsy Day this week when shear milkers move their herds to new farms. It's really interesting, eh, about that kind of topic and how the government had to react quite quickly. Do you think the government's been a bit slow in all of this? Yeah, I think it has been slow. But what was really interesting is that... So, for people who don't know, every week on a Monday... Um, there's the cabinet meeting and then after that the Prime Minister comes down um, to the Beehive Theatreette and she does a media briefing with us at around, it's usually four o'clock um, every week but this week it was not, it was quite different. So what was it like there? So basically what they did is that they had a bit of a briefing for us at the media at Federated Farmers Headquarters. And so we were there and they talked us through about what their decision was. And then the Prime Minister came in with obviously the Agriculture Minister as well and made their announcement. So this is very unusual for them to bring what we call post-cab outside from the theatre here in Parliament and bring it to another ground. And not only that, but normally when they do these kind of joint announcements, someone would come here, it's normally the Prime Minister here at Parliament with the officials in the background, but this was a very deliberate move, I think. I think they had to do this. They had to show, I think, that the sector and the government were on the same page, and the only way they could really do that was in this environment. Do you think it came off like that as well? Yeah, I think it did. I think the thing that it was a very much a coordinated approach, and that's what was done well. We saw um, the farming community isn't isn't always a natural fit with Labour, yeah. um, that's that's fair to say, um, but it did seem like they were both singing from the same songbook. Now, of course, um, farmers around the country will have a very diverse reaction to that, but definitely at that top level with Federated Farmers, they seemed coordinated. But it just, I think it's one of those things that it's got, it's got really far-reaching big implications. It's expensive. It's costing us all a lot of money. Um, for farmers, it's their livelihoods. It's their um, entire herds being culled. Yes, they get compensation, but then they have to start all over again. And it's also um, about the movement of stock and the way that we farm. So it's it is a massive deal. And it goes into the roots of how New Zealand operates in many ways. Because don't forget dairy and farming is a huge part of the way New Zealand operates. And I think for people who maybe are in some of the main cities, we don't often see that. But we often see it as backroom stuff, right? That stuff happens in the background. We don't see the effects of how it is really good for things like our economy. Yeah. But I think that when that backroom stuff starts to get affected quite heavily, we will start to see the implications of that. And I think what's really interesting here is that the government has essentially put a 10-year plan out right? in terms of phased eradication. There's a lot of detail here. But we could know whether this plan will fail or succeed 
in the next months. Like, and by November, the government is saying we will have an idea about whether this plan will succeed or fail. And then that's another crossroad again for the government. If we get to November and if it doesn't work, they're again faced with another challenge of how they're going to deal with a problem that, like you say, has big implications for our economy. Because what was interesting is um, the Prime Minister did go out and about on Tuesday. It's recess here in Parliament, so um, a lot of the um, members of Parliament get out and about into the regions, and she went to a farm and went and spoke to them and, and did all of that. So they are doing the work to get out and about in the regions. Perhaps they didn't handle it very well from the beginning, yep. but it feels like they're trying really hard to pump a lot of money into it to really be on top of it and to keep going with it. And I guess um, having a minister who's been in that situation before is yep. probably something that's helpful for them as well. And has some experience, right? He's not yeah. just a new minister that's come on the scene. You and know. with a farming background, with I a farming, as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And with, with all that kind of knowledge that he's... I think, you know, he's a big reason why they are doing quite well now is that he does seem to translate really well with those farmers. When he turns up to the farm, he can speak on that level with them. And I think that is working well in their favour. I think what is interesting, though, is that it's not like the farming community is necessarily also all in agreement of what to do here with um, Embovis. I think what tends to happen is the people with Embovis want to move away from eradication. People without Embovis want to deal with eradication. So I think the government, in a way, is also trying to unite a sector as well, which I think is the other part of the challenge. Yeah. Well, I guess it's from one problem to another problem for the government. Um, the fuel tax, that um, the excise tax on the petrol that we pay, has been something that the government has been trying to sell to the public. Uh, we did a poll asking people what they thought of the idea. Have a look at this. Every time you fill up, a bit of what you pay is siphoned off for a fuel tax. That's then used to fund things like rail and roading. Now the government wants to boost that tax over the next three years. It's set to be phased in from September, increasing three to four cents a year. No one wants to pay more tax, but actually no one wants to spend hours sitting in a gridlock. The government is looking to introduce a national fuel tax of between nine and 12 cents a litre to provide funding for roads and public transport. So we asked, do you support or oppose this idea? 58% don't like it, 36% support the idea, and the rest don't know. It would probably make a great deal of difference because I think it's really expensive for the average person who's just, you know, wanted to get from A to B. It doesn't make a huge difference, um, and I think that it's paying for really important things. Got to get to work for the workers, and the price is about 2.25 at the moment, eh? Would it make it harder for you to drive? I, I would think twice. This tax is separate from the regional fuel tax for Auckland motorists, who will be hit twice. This is very unnecessary, and New Zealanders see this. This is a government that is awash in cash, uh, has a lot of money. But the government says this is nothing new. Under the last government, they increased the fuel excise uh, six times in nine years to a total of 17 cents a litre. National never grew the taxes in on fuel this aggressively or had a double tax here. The poll shows this fuel tax might be a hard sell, but regardless, is set to become a reality. Because I think what we saw there is if I say to you, do you want to pay more tax, what's your answer going to be? No, so no thank you. <laughs> I think what the government, what you've kind of got to do in this debate is make sure that when you're asking people the question, it's, do you want to pay more fuel tax if it means 
this yes. and this for you. So yes. if it means more public transport and more roading, yeah. it, and it's a and that's that's the problem and the dilemma that the government's got because it's nine to twelve cents over the next three years. It's a lot of money, and I think you know tax has a lot of negative connotations, doesn't it? You think about tax and. All you think about is money leaving your pocket. Mm. You don't think about it going into something else or being, you know, invested <laughs> into other good things. It's like tax, you know. But I don't know. It also makes me wonder that maybe the government actually hasn't handled this taxing very well either because if people aren't seeing the other side of it, if people aren't being convinced that their tax is going towards other things like better roading, better roads, then obviously the message is being lost somewhere, right? Obviously the government has not been able to get through to people that this tax is worth it, which is the, the key point here, isn't it? But I also think it's a hard sell because if I'm um, sitting in a farm out of Levin and you say, oh, look, well, we'll give you some more roads and some public transport, you're like, it ain't nothing to do with me. I don't, I don't care about that. And I think that's the problem with having this national fuel tax like, I think people get the Auckland thing. Yeah. Auckland regional fuel tax, pay for gridlock, deal with it. But you it's this... Choose na- to live there. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. part of... It's the payoff, I guess, if you like, and it's solving the problem. But this national fuel tax, you're paying for things that you don't see any benefit to. And selfishly, most people, you know, understandably, most people don't really want to do that. So could the government have done anything... Could, could they have done anything differently to convince that you know, someone in live-in, why it's worth it. Yeah, and I guess that's when you've got to say big picture, look, if the roads are fast, the things that are coming to you, if you're, um, if you're, if you're selling something, they're getting out faster. If you're buying stuff, it's getting in faster. If the economy is doing better because trucks can get around the country, it's just not a very sexy argument, is it? No, and I think, you know, like we were saying before, I think, unfortunately, what National did before the election, talking about all this tax, I think that does play a factor as well. When you think of, unfortunately, Labour and tax, often people go, oh, of course Labour was going to tax us, when actually, you know, this could have easily come in under the national government. So I think, you know, those connotations do play a really big factor in it. Yeah, and I think what people have to remember for some context is excise tax has been brought in by every government. I think um, Phil Twyford was at pains to say from 1927 <laughs> governments have been putting on excise tax. But um, Simon Bridges' point was that it it's far more aggressive and at a time when petrol prices are really expensive. So I think, I mean, for a lot of us, um, you know, we we drive around, that's how we get to work, that's how um, we do the things that we want to do, and, and it's just got more expensive. The other thing that I've heard is this argument that the more that we increase petrol prices, that it will encourage people to invest into green things, like um, getting an electric car, for instance. But genuinely, you know, when you think about middle to lower class they're the people who also drive. If they're being taxed, they're not the ones who will go, oh, well, since petrol's so high, I'm going to go out and buy an electric car. You know, So I think I've heard that argument a lot, and I think that that also needs to be factored in, that it's not this magical thing that we can all just jump out and invest in, in green energy just because you know petrol prices are going up. Yeah, and I think it's one of those things that's not, um, it's not due to come in until September, and yeah. I wonder how much pressure will come on the government as those fuel prices go up where people are saying, look, we just... We can't do this. We can't so, afford it. We can't. Yeah. We can't drive. You know. Yeah. And we and at the moment, our systems are set up for many of us to drive. And I guess maybe that's the government's argument is that we need to improve yeah. these roading networks. So yeah. we need that money. But yeah. you're right. It, it becomes harder to swallow if you're sitting yeah. there and you're watching that price tick up anyway, and you know that the government's just about to 
you know, heap another tax onto it. Yeah. Well, this image of us driving off into the horizon is perhaps a nice way <laughs> to end it. Um, it was great to have you with us on Inside Parliament. It's our weekly catch-up of the political stories that we've been doing on One News. Our podcast is available every Thursday evening on the One News Facebook page. And check us out on your favourite podcasting app. And thank you for being with us, May. Thank you. Yeah.